0: This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the one-year daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the one-year Bible reading for June 22nd. We're going to start today in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 3. Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but he was not as wicked as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led the people of Israel to commit. Now we're going to turn to talking about Moab, and I was curious about this because yesterday we were talking about the fact that Moab declared its independence from Israel, and I honestly couldn't remember what was going on. Who are the Moabites, and what are they all about? So they are actually ethnically similar To the Israelites. Uh, They are descendants of Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. But they went their own way and worshiped a god, uh, Shamash, uh, rather than worshiping the one true God. And they were were defeated by King David. Um, They were one of the people in the Promised Land, groups of people um, that the Israelites took over. And now they have been under the control of the northern kingdom of Israel, but they have declared their independence. So this is where we are in verse 4. King Misha of Moab and his people were sheep breeders. They used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you help me to fight him? And Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are brothers, and my troops are yours to command. Even my horses are at your service. Then Jehoshaphat asked, Which route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. And it strikes me that they did not inquire of the Lord, did they, before they set out? But there was no water for the men or their pack animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, then the Lord will speak through him. So the kings of Israel, Judah and Edom, went to consult with Elisha. I want no part of you, Elisha said to the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram said no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here to be destroyed by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I would not bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, said the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and your other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will, you, you will conquer the best of their cities, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. And sure enough, the next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who could fight, young and old, and stationed themselves along their border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it look as red as blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies have attacked and killed each other. Let's go and collect the plunder. When they arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked the Moabites, who turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed the cities, covered their good land with stones, stopped up the springs and cut down the good trees. Finally, it was only kir Harisheth that was left, but even that came under attack. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle, he sent 700 of his warriors in a desperate attempt to break through the enemy lines near the king of Edom, but they failed to escape. So he took his oldest son, Who would have been the next king and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. As a result, the anger against Israel was great, so they withdrew and returned to their own land. Chapter 4. One day the widow of one of Elisha's fellow prophets came to Elisha and cried out to him, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can i do to help you elisha asked tell me what do you have in the house nothing at all except a flask of olive oil she replied and elisha said borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you pour olive oil from your flask into the jars setting the jars aside as they are filled so she did as she was told her sons brought many jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and there will be enough money left over to support you and your sons. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem, A wealthy woman lived there, and she invited him to eat some food. From then on, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's make a little room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his room to rest. He said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the woman I want to speak to her. When she arrived, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern she has shown us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what do you think we can do for her? He suggested, she doesn't have a son, And her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year, in about this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she protested. Please don't lie to me like that, O man of God. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. In the New Testament, we are starting in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man crippled with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was listening as Paul preached, and Paul noticed him and realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the listening crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human bodies. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus, and that Paul, because he was the chief speaker, was Hermes. The temple of Zeus was located on the outskirts of the city. The priest of the temple and the crowd brought oxen and wreaths of flowers, and they prepared to sacrifice to the apostles at the city gates. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, "'Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings like yourselves. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In earlier days, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left himself without a witness.'" There were always his reminders, such as sending you rain and good crops and giving you food and joyful hearts. But even so, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. This reminds me of um, John chapter 1, where it says that uh, John the Baptist came to testify to the light. He was a witness to the light, but did not claim to be the light. And this is the same with Paul and Barnabas. Now look at how quickly the people's opinion changes. Now, some Jews arrived in Antioch and Iconium and turned the the crowds into a murderous mob. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, apparently dead. But as the believers stood around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch of Pisidia where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church and prayed for them with fasting, turning them over to the care of the Lord in whom they had come to trust. When they traveled back through Pisidia and to Pamphylia, they preached again in Perga and then went on to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where their journey had begun and where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported about their trip, telling all that God had done and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers in Antioch for a long time. Psalm 140. O Lord, rescue me from evil people, preserve me from those who are violent, those who plot evil in their hearts and stir up trouble all day long. Their tongues sting like a snake, the poison of a viper drips from their lips. O Lord, keep me out of the hands of the wicked, preserve me from those who are violent, for they are plotting against me. The proud have set a trap to catch me. They have stretched out a net. They have placed traps all along the way. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Listen, O Lord, to my cries for mercy. O sovereign Lord, my strong Savior, you protected me on the day of battle. Lord, do not give in to their evil desires. Do not let their evil schemes succeed, O God. Let my enemies be destroyed by the very evil they have planned for me. Let burning coals fall upon their heads or throw them into the fire or into deep pits from which they can't escape. Don't let liars prosper here in our land. Cause disaster to fall with great violent force on the violent. But I know the Lord will surely help those they persecute. He will maintain the rights of the poor. Surely the godly are praising your name for they will live in your presence. Proverbs 17:22, A fearful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And to end today, I'm going to read to you from um, Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest. And this is called Service of Passionate Devotion. And it's from the scripture, John 21, 16. Lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. Jesus did not say, make converts to your way of thinking, but look after my sheep, see that they get nourished in the knowledge of me. We count as service what we do in the way of Christian work. Jesus calls service what we are to him, not what we do for him. Discipleship is based on devotion to Jesus Christ, not on adherence to a belief or a creed. If any man come to me and hate not, he cannot be my disciple. There is no argument and no compulsion, but simply, if you would be my disciple, you must be devoted to me. A man touched by the Spirit of God suddenly says, Now I see who Jesus is, and that is the source of devotion. Today we have substituted creedal belief for personal belief, and that is why so many are devoted to the causes and so few devoted to Jesus Christ. People do not want to be devoted to Jesus, but only to the cause he started. Jesus Christ is a source of deep offense to the educated mind of today that does not want him in any other way than as a comrade. Our Lord's first obedience was to the will of his Father, not to the needs of men. Saving a man was the natural outcome of his obedience to the Father. If I am devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to the place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity, though men treat me as a doormat. The secret of a disciple's life is devotion to Jesus Christ, and the characteristic of the life is its un- unobtrusiveness. It is like a corn of wheat which falls into the ground and dies, but presently it will spring up and alter the whole landscape John twelve twenty four. Have a beautiful day. Love you all.